Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Wherever you are and whenever you are, welcome back, good souls, to this planet called Earth as we slide and slip through the universe at cosmic speeds that you cannot feel um, unless you can feel it in your soul. And as usual, we will traverse this cosmic highway, a paranormal portals, and tantalizing turnoffs. Um, as you can see with me, here is Tom Reed. I'll bring Tom on in just a moment, and we will be discussing, well... Probably one of the biggest UFO events um, in history. And finally, it's, it's getting its day. It's getting its day and it's getting the coverage. Many more people know about the Berkshire UFO event of night, September 1969, um, Labor Day. And that was because the Unsolved Mystery series on Netflix uh, did a fairly good, fairly good job of covering the story and Tom will respond to that in just a moment. And then in the second half an hour tonight, we have race Hobbs from KGRA radio and we'll be discussing the, um, uh, the changes and the uh, unsettling events associated with MUFON. I'm sure many of you've heard about this already. It's a lot. There's a lot going on in the news right now, as far as ufology goes. Uh, and then of course, for the second hour, our featured guest, Lori Gum and Shane McLellan from the Q Files podcast to get just paranormally weird. We will cover it all cryptids, ghosts, ufology. Um, so that should be a really fun conversation with Shane and Lori. And welcome to the Saturday night time slot. So yeah, if you're um if you've been hanging with Paranormal Now over the past, I guess almost four years now, um, we <laughs> we have a good track record of hopping around. Um, changing platforms and changing time slots. So hopefully we will settle here Saturday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time um, for a good run. So thank you for sticking with us and thank you for joining us tonight if this is your first time um, listening or watching Paranormal Now. If you are listening on KGRA Radio or on the podcast later, you can check out all of the KGRA Radio shows on kgrradio.com. And those of us who are now streaming video as well for the live shows, just go to KGR Radio on YouTube and on Facebook, and you can find all of those past shows. And the cool thing is, as we go throughout the night, if you're on YouTube, if you're on Facebook, 
um, I can see your comments, or at least when I'm paying attention. So if you have a question for our guests, just lay it out there. I'll highlight your comment, and we'll try to get it on. Um, I think one of the biggest ufological news drops we've had in, since 2017 of December, again, the New York Times uh, has released this article, and I'll just I'll just read a little bit from you for you for those who, uh, well, who are, are not privy, and it's been out in a couple of days. So here we go. No longer in the shadows, Pentagon's UFO unit will make some findings public. For over a decade, the program, now tucked inside the Office of Naval Intelligence, has discussed mysterious events in classified briefings. Despite Pentagon statements that. It disbanded a once-covert program to investigate unidentified flying objects. The effort remains underway, renamed, and tucked inside the Office of Naval Intelligence, where officials continue to study. Continue is the key word here. Continue to study mystifying encounters between military pilots and unidentified aerial vehicles. Pentagon officials, officials will not discuss the program, which is not classified but deals with classified matters, yet... It appeared last month in a Senate committee report outlining spending on the nation's intelligence agencies for the coming year. The report said the program, the uh, UAP task force, was to standardize collection and reporting on sightings of explained aerial phenomena. So not ATIP. This is UAP task force, another task force. So what this means is that not only has the, the, the Navy changed its story, yes, they're covering this. No, they're not covering this. Um, yes, they're unidentified. No, they're not identified. Um, but that they've been studying this for years. And I think those of us in this field, we, we kind of knew that, that closing the Project Blue Book door wasn't the end all be all. Um, but man, since that, that first drop in 2017 of uh, revealing the ATIP program, and now this... To boot, um, Eric Davis, who was worked on one of these programs, he said uh, he also gave classified briefings on retrievals of unexplained objects, retrievals of unexplained objects to staff members of the Senate Armed Services Committee um, on October 21, 2019, to staff members of the Senate Intelligence Committee two days later. So this, like, if if you can't can, don't consider this disclosure, then uh, this is probably the closest to soft disclosure that we have had. The recognition, the being allowed, in a sense, to discuss this in the public sphere is extraordinarily impressive, um, that the New York Times has continued to follow and investigate on this story. And I think 100%, it has to, it's a generational thing. I think that the Congress people that we have now come just from a, a different breed, a different generation. Um, our military personnel have a different mindset and a different approach towards all these odd subjects, but UFOs in particular. And I think that they're not afraid. And I think that they're pushing um, against these special access programs that have been so black budget secreted for decades. And they want to find out what the heck is going on because once you accept that a multitude of Navy pilots are seeing craft that are completely unexplained, 
then from a national defense standpoint, you have to do something. It's your absolute duty. So these are really, really exciting times. Um, hopefully, Race and I, Race Hobbs and I will talk about this in just a little bit as well. But as a friendly reminder, please call in the second hour to our Paranormal Radio app hotline. That's 855-472-5483. That's 85-KGRA-LIVE. Um, stand by. We will pull you on. We'll give you the cue. And then you can ask our guests in the second hour your questions. And now I have the honor of once again bringing on uh, Tom Reed. Tom, it's absolutely a pleasure to this time see you again. Yeah. <laughs> Likewise. It's been a while. Yeah. How are you doing, brother? And thanks, Bill, for also hooking us up. Um, yeah, this has been a crazy year, has it not? I mean, just... In general, it's been a mix of so many different uh, dynamic come together from, uh, you know, the Elon Musk to our, our um, Unsolved Mysteries to the all the little things that we're dealing with today, you know. Um, so uh, anyway, I've got, what, 20 minutes here to kind of wrap up or talk to you about what's new or what happened with everything. Yeah. Or well, well, one thing okay. we want to know about is the UFO Na- National, the new UFO Monument Park. Um, yeah. So things are going well in its direction yeah. correct yeah we're getting one of the benches back so um i think we have a there's a couple of um a couple of things that that, that um caused that to happen of course uh, nadine who was in the uh select well, select board members uh mm-hmm. she, she uh, lost her re-election and uh the new guy bob who took her place um has been uh, uh much more accommodating and i think that the uh, unsolved mystery show also has um has has the town talking and i think that there's a you know, uh, I think they're starting to uh, realize that this could be a good thing for the town as well. And uh, so we're, it's baby steps. You know, we're getting the bench back and that should be back in about a week or so. Um, and of course, uh, there were a lot of people that got involved in that show. Uh, some that were cut out of the show, but a lot of the locals were in it. They were able to be heard without having to concern themselves with any, uh, you know, repercussions, if you will. Um, yeah, or, or the giggle factor. Yeah, I mean, it's all, everything seems to, this is, it could not have come out at a better time, right? Seriously. Our show just, I I was working with Cindy, our segment producer, since 2015. Mm -hmm. So what she said, you know, Tom, you know, who do you think would be willing to go on camera? And I kind of sent her to the Historical Society because they're the ones that inducted it. So I thought that they might show, uh, you know, more of the documents, which I have here for your viewers. Um, But uh, yeah, so... I think originally they were going to focus more on my brother and I, and uh, Matthew just didn't, didn't want to do it. You know, he's like, you know, so my mother was like, um, well, I'll step in and I'll, I've never gone on camera before. You know, she's 80 years old. We almost lost her about two years ago. And I thought, you know, or she thought maybe, first of all, she grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries. So she thought this is going to be a good show. Right. So I don't mind doing it. You know, so they actually accommodated her and we filmed in Atlanta. We only live a couple of miles, a couple of hours outside Atlanta. So just to make clear for anybody um, who just yeah. late, we're talking about the 1969 September UFO incident that Tom Reed and his family um, were firsthand experiencers of. Yeah, it was actually our diner that um, back up to my mother. So my mother actually drove. I drove her to Atlanta. She filmed in Atlanta. I went, of course, to Sheffield. And um, with that, uh, we filmed at Galatas Gas Station, which was right next to our diner. Mm-hmm. Of course, WSBS was right there. And there were a lot of locals who thought, you know what, I don't mind talking out. So anytime somebody said, you know, uh, hey, Tom, you know, I wouldn't mind speaking to somebody, I kind of passed their, 
email on to Unsolved, and they would decide whether or not they thought that person would really have anything to add. So as far as the show goes, I think the show, um, I, I like the way it focused on what took place on that particular day. Mm-hmm. Now, we were under the impression that a lot of the documents would be shown. And I think when it came out, a lot of us were like, what happened? You know, we we're waiting for those documents. But, to you know, to understanding their, their um, direction on this, they want to focus on the flight path. And I think if you watch that, you can see where it came from Pittsfield. Uh, through Lenox, Stockbridge, through uh, Great Barrington, and made its way to Sheffield. And um, so they were able to, you know, work with the Pittsfield Library and then work with Jan Green, who saw it in the Stockbridge area, and then WSBS and follow that path. And that's really what they wanted to focus on. But for your viewers who don't know, um, there were an awful lot of documents that were received from the government. You know, uh, Governor Charles D. Baker, um, the Historical Society. And this is one of the... um, envelopes that uh, came to me. It's also sealed by by a judge. This is one of the letters that came from the Historical Society. And I post a lot of these, but these are actually the originals. And, you know, obviously I just can't carry these around with me, but this is the one from the governor's office that mimics the sign in the park. And this is, again, the second letter we got from the Historical Society. So we've gotten multiple letters and we've been, and by the way, this is WSBS's letter, which hangs in the Roswell Museum. That's a copy of that. And this is the second letter from the, from the governor's office. So for the listeners, these are very official looking, these are very official looking letters. Yeah. So what, to, to kind of just give an idea to everybody, a short snapshot of how it happened our diner was the hub for the conversation. And anybody who knows Great Barrington knows that there used to be a horse track there. So our diner was like one of the rare eateries outside the Great Barrington horse track. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't far over the line of Albany, New York, and you know Hartford. And those people who wanted to bet on the horses came to that. Rather than Saratoga, that was the biggest track. And so we, our diner got a mix of people. And a lot of the kids would eat at our diner. And we'd all walk to school together because it was basically across the street from elementary school. Mm -hmm. And it was those kids who rode those little banana seat bikes and listened to our jukebox and had shakes in our diner that are in their 40s and 50s and 60s now. And so it was them who remembered this. And so when we were approached by the Historical Society and said, look, we'd like to do something with this, you know, would you take a polygraph test? Would you, you know, um, you know, be willing to, to meet with our, with our board and that kind of thing. Of course I said, absolutely. I will. Mm-hmm. And so many other people at the time were writing letters and giving statements. And some of those were judges. Some of those were historians and bankers. Mm-hmm. And so they, they thought, well, how can we really make this something for the community? Cause they're not coming to great Barrington or the historical society to look at the latest musket ball. Right. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, <laughs> what can we do? This happened, you know, there's no question it happened. And so they voted uh, or looked at our diner and said, well, did that diner alter the natural progression of the community? Just like Billy the Kid altered the railroad. So did your diner, did your family's diner alter the natural progression of the community? And if so, then the event as a whole was historically significant and true. And that's really how it got inducted. And so a lot of the shows have focused on our family and my brother and I. But this was a very big sighting. A lot of people saw this. And I've always said this was a bigger sighting than most people recognized. Or It got a lot of mainstream press, but it didn't get a lot of 
press within the UFO community because back in the day there wasn't papers, there weren't articles, it wasn't in Project Blue Book. It was, it was recorded given a classification in September, but it never made Project Blue Book. Right. And so it's kind of sat in the background a little bit. But well, that's yeah. a good point too to make, Tom. Yeah. That Project Blue Book isn't the be all end all. Um, who knows how many other events uh, and cases that never just made. just never made it on their radar. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And so, so what, so I, I really enjoyed the episode. I think I, I have to tell you what, I think I messaged you this, but I, I had concerns when I heard they're bringing unsolved mysteries back. Cause I loved that yeah. you know, as a, as a kid. And it was cool because you kind of felt like you were participating in real time and actually making a difference because people did, yeah. I was, I was people part did of call in and they, they got leads on reports. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. they tried to reboot it. I think it was 2008 to 2010 and it was, eh, so I was really concerned about this. And I have to say that the producers who also produce Stranger Things on Netflix did an yeah. excellent job. But th- there were there were um, parts of this case that were omitted. Um, and there are a few issues with that. And could, could you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, well, the documents, I, I, again, that, I think that's, that's a bad point. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. And um you know, there were a, a couple other people I thought should have been in it. Um, certainly, uh, Kevin Titus. You know, I, I you know, you know Kevin, um, Judge Kevin Titus from Canaan, Connecticut. Now, and um, yeah, he uh, he was a witness. He saw the uh, cattle mutilation. You know, he was part of that. And um, and again, he was a he knew my father when uh, my father he knew my father right after he got out of office. My father was a select board member as well and a lawyer, and he knew kind of Kevin afterwards. And so, again, this is a very small community. So a lot of people knew each other, you know, back as kids and haven't seen each other in a very long time. And now they're kind of getting back together. Um, there were three other uh, family, uh, a family next to us, uh, three children, uh, the heirs, and they were witnesses to it as well. And um, so, again, there were a lot of people that I think uh, could have added something to the show, but they streamlined it and they chose their particular uh, um you know, key figures that they wanted in it. And um, of course we had no say in how it got edited. Right. But your, your story, there's so much more to it. Oh yeah. There's so much more. My father had this taken to the United Nations. I shouldn't say my father had it taken. Uh, Bletchman, who was a, an attorney along, along with my father, they were, they were both Democrats at the time and, and um, no kid left behind. And they kind of ran in the same circles. Mm-hmm. And um, during the, um, it was kind of a way of the Hudson River Valley sightings. You're very well aware of that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so my father was approached by Bletchman. And um, oddly enough, my condo was not far from Bletchman's law firm in Manchester, Connecticut. And so I'd meet him after after work and um, discuss this symposium that was coming up in October in 1992 at the United Nations with the president of the Parapsychology Society, uh, Mohammed Ramadan. And... Uh, and with that, um, he had approached my father to see if he would mind uh, mentioning our family's incident because it it was over water. The Hudson River Valley, you know, was over water. Uh, you know, our case was over the Housatonic River. So there was a connection with water. It wasn't far away. My father was in office. He was an attorney. So they thought it might add um, some credibility to the angle that he was looking to, to pitch at the United Nations, which was 10 days before that uh, I guess it was uh, SETI was launching their new microwavable technology, their satellites. And so this was a good time again to 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 bring up 
the Hudson River Valley sightings along with the Great Barrington or the Berkshire's UFO case mm-hmm. at the same time. And that was on October 2nd, 1992. And as a lot of people know, my father lost his life on October 2nd as well. And so that was something else that um, kind of uh, fueled uh, some of the historians and those people in the area to look at our case a little more seriously because my father was advocating what took place in the community. And so being that he was also an historian, a lot of the historians thought, well, maybe we could do something in return and pay that forward to your father. And that was kind of how the whole monument thing came to be, which, of course, I don't know how I got blamed for installing a 5,000 pound monument when I live a thousand miles away, but that has been something that's been circulating. Nothing could be further from the truth. The town of Sheffield installed that mm-hmm. and all that's on my website. But, but I think that's coming back too. you know, the bench is coming back that was removed. Yeah. Um, a lot of good came from this, you know, sure. The documents could have been mentioned and some other people could have gotten in the show, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, this couldn't have aired at a better time. It was a credible program. Mm-hmm. And they showed the flight pattern and they got a lot of other people in the show that normally would never have had a voice. And so for that, I'm grateful. And I think it was very successful and um, I'm not complaining at all. But it's okay. It's totally okay to, to critique and, and still be happy with something, you know, um, all the yeah. positives have come out of it. Uh, in fact, we were, we were just talking about this and I, I watched this video as well. The behavioral panel, Yes. Okay. We can talk about that too. Mm -hmm. Okay. You saw the Jan Green one. Exactly. I'm going to post the link in the comment sections here. Okay. So So you want to talk about that for a second? No. So go ahead. Okay. All right. So for those who aren't aware of the behavior panel, they're made up of uh, four or five um, uh, professional body um, and um, language um, analysts. And they've already um, analyzed Jan Green. And Jan Green, we used to know as a, as a child, she had the pharmacy in town, but she also had a restaurant in her pharmacy. Believe it or not, she actually had, you could get coffee in her pharmacy back in the day. So we knew her back in, in, in the early 70s at, in Great Barrington. We had the, the spot in Sheffield. And um, so anyway, uh, she's a, a fantastic person. You know, she was uh, one of the first callers. She was the one who actually drove down to WSBS and knocked on the door and said, Hey, listen, if you got, you know, the UFOs <laughs> that way. And um, so she played an important part because she didn't just make a phone call. She drove all the way to the radio station because Jeff, Tom Jay was back on the air and she drove over there to say, Hey, you know, there it is. And um, so for that, she's, um, she's, she's uh, 100% accurate in her delivery, her recall. She's, um, you know, they, the, the uh, five analysts um, looked at her body language, looked at how she, everything from the way she squints to her eyes to everything and agreed that she was hundred percent, you know, honest in her retelling of what happened. And so I'm, I'm being done on Tuesday. They're going to, I'm going to be going on a show much like this where I'm going to Skype in. They're going to ask me questions and look at my, you know, my response and, mm-hmm. and critique and, and they're going to do a uh, uh, Melanie's agreed and uh, pretty much everybody's agreed and um, pretty much everybody. And so we'll, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens or what they have to say about that. But um, yeah, they're, uh, they're good at what they do. And I, and again, I'm, I'm glad they're doing it. You know, I, I want them to, to do the body language. I, I'm, I'm, I support that. I want them to look at us and say, okay, you know, yeah, these guys are telling the truth. I mean, that's a polygraph already, but this would be interesting too. I, it's kind of like, I want this. I'm, I encourage it. You know what I mean? The similarity between 
the Travis Walton case and this case is that you have these multiple witnesses that you, you can um, take lie detector tests. You can, um, you know, analyze their behaviors to see if they're they're lying. Um, and, and I think that's fantastic that you are, you know, there are enough of you that are open to do that. Yeah. And, and why, why wouldn't we? I mean, I can only go in our favor when you, you know, if, why if, would you if you're telling the truth. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, as you look at these, um, individuals in the program and, and, uh, I'll tell you one more thing. <clears throat> okay. So the officer in the show in great Barrington opens up his binder from 1969 and says, Oh, we've only got two incidents in here. Right now. This was a holiday. This was a labor day holiday. You mean to tell me there were only two, two incidents in the great Barrington, you know, uh, police and the police department only had two incidents that day. That's impossible. I mean, you've got, Thousands and thousands of people, horse shows, kids, rides. Obviously, there was a page missing or something out of that book. And then they focused on Galata, too. And his father was the chief of police who used to eat at our diner to keep, you know, to keep the, you know, keep the, the tension down a little bit. And he was talking about, now you're talking about Sheffield, only 3,000 people back in the day. They were swamped with calls. You saw the show, right? They were swamped with calls in Sheffield. That's a town with 3,000 people, and you're going. You're looking at Great Barrington, and they're saying there were only two calls, and one of them was some guy's garbage got knocked over or something. Right. There were, this was a ringed binder. Why didn't they say, hey, wait a minute, couldn't a page or two have gotten ripped out of that binder? Because that's that's like makes no sense, and then they're followed up with a question going, you know, where's the – this is Labor Day holiday. People are drinking. People are hanging out. That's why there were so many witnesses because it was Labor Day, and right. people were outside having barbecues. Two incidences in, in, in the book? Come on. The, the WSBS was burning up with phone calls. So there were some things I was like, come on, you know. Now, do, you, do you think that there oh, okay. go ahead. When it was a report that just came out, I guess some paper said that they thought the FBI was trying to squash this. Did you see that article? No? Okay. That's floating around too. Yeah. You know, the theories, the, the unsolved mysteries theories that come out and they say uh, – what do you think happened or what, you know, you know, people send in, they say, let us know, give us a heads up on something. Sure, yeah. okay. Well, apparently a lot of people are feeling that the FBI tried to squash it back in the day. And, um, huh. and that's out there. Yeah. So if you Google, um, you know, Berkshire's UFO, FBI, try, you know, FBI, whatever, you know, uh, tries to block case or yeah. Are they act presenting actual evidence or is it just a conspiracy theory? Um, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, w I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory. I think it's just that because there were so many reports and uh, nothing in the, in the binder for the police department, which is odd. Um, obviously it looks like someone's been trying to keep it quiet. And if you look at the attitude of the community, even 50 years later, they were still trying to squash it. Right. I mean, you know, what's been going on. Why would you want to squash that? And I think one of the reasons is it did go to the United Nations. There's a huge political thread in our case, not only because of my father being a – my grandmother was the governess for Franklin Della Roosevelt's grandchildren. Did you know that? No, I didn't part of the no, no. Until, until I was three years old. Your history but, just keeps expanding, Tom. Well, this is my mother – and my, my grandmother was the governess for Franklin Della Roosevelt's grandchildren in Cherry Hills, Colorado back mm -hmm. in – from 1958 to 1963. Okay. And when my mother split up with her, my, my birth father, um, my, my grandmother invited us out to Colorado to live at the Roosevelt's. And I, so my mother for those three years really got into politics. 
And so when my father, my her second marriage, my stepfather, um, graduated law school, she pushed him into politics. And that's how he got into office. And then, of course, that helped uh, get attention to the, the great Barrington or Berkshire's UFO case, which is our family's case. And, of course, then knowing people and historians and, and judges and other lawyers, it got mentioned at the UN. And so it has this political thread through it. But it's a thread, a political thread that I think most people at the time involved in this topic would have rather had squashed, right? Because if I was to, back in the day, if I were to say, um, yeah, I'd like to uh, talk about this UFO in Great Barrington. Well, you know, who was I? I was a small business owner, right? Mm -hmm. But my father could pick up the phone as a, as a lawyer and a politician and get right through to the Hartford Current, get right through to the you know, New York Times. So my father had a voice. And, um, and, and that helped in some respects, but I think it also, um, you know, uh, cut his life short. We'd I mean, also during these events, especially when they're on holidays and people are drinking, um, that's, a, that's a debunker, uh, go-to. And in this case, you all were teenagers, 10, 12, 13, you know, I yeah. mean, you weren't all, you know, drunk and stoned out of your mind that night. Yeah. No, it was too early in the day. No. <laughs> all <laughs> right. And that's the other thing, too. You know, um, if you look at some of the posts, oh, they were on acid. I think, yeah, my mom was feeding your children acid, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I'm, I'm grateful in, um, that, we, uh, that we're getting uh, our due, like you said earlier. I think yeah. you dealt with that. And, uh, and it's true. I think that, um, you know, when um, you talk about a, a case that involves yourself, it's almost like you're self-promoting for years. You're like, oh, this happened. You know, I want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But I've never said that. I've never, I didn't build a, a UFO park with sponsors in Sheffield for myself. That's a thousand miles away from where I live. I did it for them, you know. And um, I want the, the locals to get more involved. I want them to speak out. I, mm -hmm. This is about me. You know, I, I, I'm. I'm successful. I do okay. I didn't, I'm not doing this for attention, but anybody can have a, a career, right? Anybody can. My mother was a radio personality for WKZE radio in Sharon, Connecticut. I don't know if you knew that either. You know, she was at our FM station and, um, and, and she uh, mentioned it a couple times on the air, but left it alone. But um, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is that anybody can have a, a job or a career, but not everybody can make history. Right. right. And this community, um, Right now, uh, if they they could stop the feuding and just get on the same page, and I think they're starting to do that, that community as a whole could make history together. You know, those kids never wavered; they stuck to their guns. And um, and there's a few of us that have uh, gone the extra mile to say, "Look, you can't jump into this topic with one foot." So we were the first ones to take that leap, right? Right. You, you so definitely once we had taken that leap. There was no getting out of the pool at that point. And so now other people are following suit. Now other, it's like the first person that gets up and dance, right? Once that first couple get up and dance, it's okay for everybody else. So we were the first ones to get up and dance. And now it's time for other people to take the reins. But And the music is playing, Tom. I mean, the, the timing, right. like you said, is is brilliant. It's a right. great time for the study of ufology. Sure. Um, so thank you so much for all of your efforts and yeah, more awareness of it. And so for everybody listening and watching, um, you've been hanging out with Living History tonight with Tom Reed. Tom, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate it. And have a good night. Thank you for having me on, buddy. All right. Take Bye. care. Bye. All right. So next, who else better to talk about ufology and the MUFON 
happenings than the one and only Race Hobbs from KGRA Radio. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Race, my brother. How are you? I'm good, Alan. It's good to have you back. And it's good to see you in your new funky um, your studio. Yeah, it's 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 nice to have the digs back here in arkansas yeah <laughs> i love it man all right so hey i mean this is this is some heavy business um that went down and, and there's a lot in ufology we could talk about right now but um i don't want to let this get overshadowed by the other news and um that is jan harzen the former now former executive director of mufon um was removed from office because he was arrested for soliciting a 13-year-old for sex. Um, so I know there's a, a a mixed a bag of opinions on the history of MUFON. Uh, so I'd just like to get your take on what uh, this means. Was this something that was coming? No. <laughs> no. No. Jan Harzan had a, a long corporate career and, um, and he was, he was very smooth around the edges mm-hmm. and he was very smart. What I, I thought he was very smart. Um, obviously if he's guilty of what he did, he's an idiot. He's stupid, more stupid than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it, you know, he was probably in the driver's seat for as long as he wanted to do it. I mean, they have, they have terms and the board votes on, you know, new executive directors. You know, I don't think it's ever four years or I don't know something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and he probably could have been there as long as he wanted because he, you know, he was very good at fundraising and, you know, and running the business and fronting, being out in front of the business. And, um, you know, he was very well spoken and very well presented. So I think Jan was going to be around for a long time to come, but mm-hmm. I'm, you know, uh, I never saw it coming. Well, no, I, and I don't think anyone else did either. No, no, no one did. Um, in fact, I mentioned to you that I called Kathleen Martin and, um, she just, she doesn't even feel comfortable talking about it. Um, especially right now and maybe in time, you know, but I think for a lot of people that thought of him as just a good dude um, and he ran what some would say is a good ship. um, 
but there are the Kathleen you know, Martin is a class act. She she absolutely is. She, yeah. she is a very classy person, very professional person. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that you wouldn't hear her make any comments one way or the other right now. You yeah. know, that's just a, that's what, that's what, um, that's how I should be. It's it's painful because when you're that yeah. when you work that closely with somebody or you know someone for that long. Um, and, and there are those who say that um, this didn't happen, that this is all, you know, uh, a farce and a staged to look like he did something that he did not do. And it was a setup. I mean, it, I feel it, sorry that, for those people. Yeah. Cause they're probably going to get taken one way or another in life by, uh, you know, some crooked telemarketer or, you know, getting their oil changed or whatever, because, you know, these people think that the police are the enemy today. And, uh, I'm one of the ones who still have all the faith in the world in our law enforcement agencies, our sheriffs, our municipal police, and, you know, and our state police and even the FBI after Comey and, and McCabe and all that stuff up, you know, that we've learned about them. I still believe in the FBI flight 800. I still believe in the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the DIA, the military. I still have faith on it, but you know, even now under the microscope that law enforcement is under, does it make sense for a local law enforcement agency in Huntington beach Mm-hmm. To entrap a guy that has absolutely no value to set up. I mean, there, somebody has to have some kind of a value, some sort of a um, a value that rates them to be set up. You know, he this guy has some sort of a you know, like just let's just say an Epstein. There has to be a value as to why someone would want to kill him versus him kill himself. And he certainly had value. And he certainly had value. That's correct. Well, I, I, the only thing I could imagine that people are, are thinking is that that it's it's meant to tarnish Mufon, but that, that's a that's a silly way to tarnish Mufon because you just remove one person and you swap them out with somebody else. Yeah, it's totally it, it's it's not if tarnishing Mufon. That's one I just heard. That's the first I've ever heard that one, but. I mean, people are saying that, oh, well, so-and-so told Jan Harzan, you know, two days before he got set up that there were going to be releasing some cases that the military gave MUFON to investigate mm-hmm. and that the findings were over the top and this thing. Let me tell you something. If Jan Harzan, being as smart as Jan Harzan was, mm-hmm. uh he would have redundancies in place. He's not new to the UFO game. He's not new to secrecy or compartmentalization. He's not new to people being run over or, or, you know, killed in car wrecks mysteriously or suicides. mysteriously. He would have redundancies in place where if this was really meant to come out, it would come out. There's no, and, and, and most importantly, in my opinion, and this is my opinion. And I said this on Jimmy church, um, I think that Jan Harzan was running MUFON as like just an addition to his financial addition to his pension, his IBM pension, because he charged MUFON a fee to be executive director every month. Mm-hmm. And he charged them money to store files, paper files in his garage. 
You know, I mean, he was making money off of MUFON. And the guy who took it over, Dave McDonald, the man who who took it over, he he never did. When he was international director before, after the Bigelow fallout, Clifford Clift came and stepped in when Jan Harzan was supposed to be taking it over, but he didn't want to, he didn't, Jan Harzan didn't want to take it over then. Well, MUFON is because of the Bigelow fallout. He didn't want to be the guy that had to answer all the questions and deal with all the fallout and the flack. So they put this, you know, this Patsy in there. He lasts two years before MUFON went broke. And then Dave McDonald came in and took them from, I think they were like three weeks from insolvency, I was told. And he brought them back to a, you know, over $40,000 surplus, cash surplus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in just a year, a little over a year or something. And, uh, and then Jan Harzan came and took it over. But during the John Venturi thing, you and I've talked about this, I think before, um, when he didn't remove John Venturi right away after what John Venturi did, I knew because John Venturi was a benefactor. He pays thousands of dollars every month, uh, every year to move on. And Jan Harzan didn't want to lose that benefactor. And he played that sympathy card about we should be more interested, Alan, in why the man said what he said. We should be more interested in why he even said it or thought it, thought it in, you know, in his mind. We shouldn't be worried about him saying something on his Facebook page. You know, and I, that's when I accepted the fact that, and it was Kathleen Martin and Stanton Friedman threatening to leave MUFON over it, you know, because Kathleen Martin, you and I both know you're good friends with her as well. She marched in the civil rights movement with, with Betty and Barney Hill, you know, they, you know, her, her family was directly involved in, in the civil rights movement. So, you know, that kind of subject about, you know, calling out an entire race, as subhuman and that it was scientifically proven to be true is just to me, it's that's why I quit move on. That's why I quit hosting their radio show. That's why I removed them from the KGRA roster mm-hmm. and back. And I resigned at nine o'clock that morning. And at five 30 that evening, he Dan Jan Harzan removed John Ventry from the state director position, but still allowed him to stay an active volunteer and move on. Or, right. I mean, there many people have quit over the years for um, similar reasons. Uh, I know Chase Kluetsky, your friend, um, has had, you know, umbrage with, with MUFON. Uh, my friend Ken Cherry, you know, had bad experience as a state director as well. Um, you know, it, but David McDonald, right? So generally people respect him, correct? Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay, so in the organization, yeah, in the organization, but I I see a lot, a lot of attacks on him online, and so for anyone listening, I think it's called Flamingo. Is it Flamingo Airs? Flamingo Airlines? Airline, yeah. Um, So apparently, I guess this, I guess this is true. I I found one article from years ago Mm -hmm. uh, on it. Uh, He takes people up for rides in the airplane, and they they have a fetish. They just want to go up have sex together in a, in a plane up in the air, and then they come back down. So as far as I'm concerned, he's just providing a service. As long as it's clean, as long as it's respectable, like there, there's there's nothing unethical or amoral about what he's, he's doing. Um, now, I understand the optics, right? Like, is he the best choice considering <laughs> literally what we just heard, you know? Like, yeah. But, but 
you know, pedophilia and this two separate worlds, nothing, not the same, not related, but you just hear sex, you hear sex and it, you know, it um, obfuscates uh, the message of Mufan changing. Right. Uh, but if we, if he sticks to his guns, do you think he'll pull through? And, oh. and yeah. 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 Dave McDonald, um, you know, I agree with what you said a hundred percent. Essentially it is just a, a hotel room in the air, you know, mm-hmm. by two consenting adults and everything is above board and legal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's something that has, it's not even in the same ballpark as what Jan Harzan tried to do. Right. Jan Harzan thought he was meeting, going to meet a 13 year old girl, some man's daughter, some boy's sister, uh, a juvenile that just, it, it is just among some of the most heinous crimes in the United States. And mm-hmm. so it's not even the same thing, but I will say, um, that I know Dave McDonald to be a very professional man. He's a very thick skinned man and he has a strong back. He he's, uh, very positive and very motivated fella. And, uh, you know, the attacks really won't do much with him. I mean, it, it, it'll just come right off of him like water off a duck's back. Why do you think so many people want new Mufon to fail? I think that this is a very small community and a lot of people went into MUFON thinking um, a, a myriad of different things. A lot of them had visions of things going one way and they went another. A lot of them had thoughts of, of thinking that things were this way and they turned out to be that way. Um, a lot of people were jealous of the people that were in place and they thought they could do a better job than them and they couldn't get their job. And there's just a lot of disgruntled people that exist in a very small village. The public UFO community is very, very small. Even when we bring in everybody from Australia Mm -hmm. and from Europe, uh, we're still a very small community and there's, just a few people really that are out in the middle of all of it at all times, you know, in the public. And so, um, I think that, uh, I think that the, I think that the, the, you know, the whole MUFON needs to be reformed and MUFON is, it needs to fail and we need something else, uh, doesn't really hold much water because, you know, MUFON, to to get where MUFON is, it would take a long time to get back to where MUFON is. Should they look uh, at the bones, though, up and down, inside and out, and just, just... I think the tea leaves need to be read. I think that they, you know, when it comes to Dave McDonald and this whole issue, let me go back. Sure. Yeah, it would be nice to to have someone that didn't have that, you know, in their portfolio. Mm-hmm. You know, you would think that MUFON would be very super careful about who they, you know, and I think they were super careful in everything. Um, I think Dave McDonald, based on what they had to choose from, is an extremely um, uh, well-thought-out choice, well-intentioned and well-mannered choice as well. But, you know, for this in the surface and the, you know, the, just the, the picture of it, we would want someone 
perfectly squeaky clean and very professional CEO, retired something or other, NASA something. Mm -hmm. And it would have been, you know, that would have been good. But I guarantee you people would have still found something to raise hell about. Uh, it's just a the part of the game. And that's why I, I think that Dave McDonald will do so well because he is so thick skinned. But when it comes to Mufon failing, Alan, um, there's just a lot of disgruntled people there. I'm personally privy to a lot of that. See, you, you brought up Chase Kletsky mm-hmm. and the thing about Chase and I was we were in MUFON. We had pretty pretty prominent positions and were on the move and on the way up and doing good works. And, um, you know, both of us with different stories, but the same kind of a, an issue with those up above us um, caused us to no longer be affiliated with MUFON, only to be brought back later, apologized to recognized that it was their mistake and that they wanted to make it right. Mm -hmm. And they brought us back and then we came back and then we left again because ultimately, well, for her and for me was both Jan Harzan. Was that something personal or is it something that you can share that they did? Um, Well, for me, I felt like Jan Harzan had no backbone. He was not the kind of leader that I felt I could follow any longer um when 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 john ventry called out the african-american race the way he did jan harzan did nothing for all that time and i was right there communicating with him and with Mm -hmm. the director of communications and you know the doi and i'm like this is this is going to be bad well i hadn't even got any emails about it well you know what you're gonna yeah. Give it a little bit of time because I'm telling you right now, the brush fire. Right. Right. Be, and, pro- be proactive about it. Right. Right. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no question, bro. There's no question. People, CEOs get accused of sexual harassment from 25 years ago and they lose their job today. Yeah. You know, we're talking about a guy that did this on social media. It was screen captured and caught, mm-hmm. you know, 18 hours ago. You know, the sun hadn't even gone down on the story when he was just ready to sweep it under the rug. And I was there when the whole thing, how the, how it all went down. Um, there were things that happened that I didn't, I lost complete respect for him. He tried to get the director of communications to write a statement, uh, you know, right, you know sort so of, even if you I, get David McDonald, you know, doing a great job, right. As far as logistics and, and organizing and just keeping things running along, is it, is it really running along smoothly because you have so many gripes or a lot of those gripes um, sort of just unjustified? I, I think that most people who volunteer for MUFON, they sincerely just want to know about this mystery. They're curious. They want to do their little part in the greater investigation. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I don't know if, if any of these people have ulterior motives and they're maybe they're seeking fame or attention and they're not getting it. Um, I don't know if that could be uh, a reason to hold. Some record. of these people just have no character. They have no moral, their, their moral compass is how, how, how do you vet that? Well, it, it comes out after time there. I don't want to name a name, but there was a lady that came to work here at KGRA and she was in MUFON and, um, you know, she took on several jobs in the organization and never completed any of them. 
She got several people removed from their positions and only to say that I could do it better and didn't. Um, she worked here at KGRA. We developed a show for her and the, uh, you know, from the name on down and she was willing to buy hook or buy crook, no matter who she had to lie to or manipulate or misdirect or embellish. No, it didn't matter. She was going to do whatever it took to get her way the way she wanted it. And she got let go from here for dishonest and unethical behavior gone on radio shows all over internet radio and on coast to coast Mm -hmm. and made up lies, absolute lies to cover for lies. And I know it, I know her and I know it. And she's one of the biggest MUFON haters on the planet. And she was in, you know, she was all over Jan Harzan. She when she couldn't get her way with him, she developed a passion to hate that man. And, you know, all over her little radio show and everybody else that was disgruntled in MUFON, she put on her little radio show. And that fosters a little club that fosters the negativity and that little club kind of forms, Alan. And once it does... You know, it's just something that's there. It comes and it goes. And I think MUFON has weathered uh, the storm decade after decade after decade, 50, 51 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and I think in the Internet age, bro, we're dealing with a lot of learning, uh, a, a big learning curve. And they're they're growing in ways that they never have before. And I think there's a lot of growing pains involved with that. I mean, when it all comes down to it, we're chasing lights in the sky right out, you know, mm-hmm. right out front of everybody. Uh, or and move doesn't, and doesn't that mean, though, that we need to make a, an extra effort toward integrity? Oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. And And Dave McDonald, you know, Dave McDonald did the best he could back then. What happened with me leaving back then was under his watch and it was wrong. I mean, I literally had a lawsuit sitting in my lap waiting against a a nonprofit organization. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't do anything with it because it came down the pike race. Give it six months. We'll get you back in. And they wound up doing that little, but it was not six months. It was over a year later, maybe two years. I I can't even remember how long it was now, but. You know, I think MUFON, well, I can tell you this, and you know this to be true. Everybody that's in MUFON um, are volunteers. And a lot of those volunteers are salt of the earth folks that just want to find answers to this mystery. They want to learn and grow their investigation skills and portfolio. And and they want to learn everything MUFON is willing to teach them to add to what they've already learned in a lot of cases, you know, to, to make them better. And I think there are a lot of ways that MUFON is able to help people, uh, you know, with things like that and other things. And so a lot of people are tremendously fulfilled from their experience with MUFON. They never had any dark days with MUFON and never got involved in the politics. And well, as you were saying earlier, it's just like the way people approach the police issue, right? 
um, or the FBI. Like, I think no matter where you are in the political spectrum, you know that any organization is susceptible to getting the wrong people in leadership roles, you know, the bad, quote, bad apples. Um, and I think that we should give MUFON a fair shake to to turn this ship around and, um, you know, and do better for itself. But it it is difficult to navigate social media. Um, and like you said, like the kind of the clicky clubs that occur. Um, I, I've always had like a weird relationship with Twitter. Um, Shane McKellen, who's coming up in the, in the next hour uh, to join us uh, is one of the very few people I interact with on Twitter. Cause, cause I just like people, people get so mean and I just don't like it out there, man. You know, like I, I have my opinions and I try to stay fairly neutral, but I, you know, it's, it's not a world that I am totally comfortable with. I can tell you that. And it gets tough. It gets tough. I mean, mm-hmm. I have walked away. I've walked away from Facebook a couple of times. And <laughs> I mean, I'm Me too. <laughs> yeah. the, the KGRA Facebook page happens to be, it happens to be ran through mine because it all, I, it, I was the one that, you know, mm-hmm. so I can't get rid of my Facebook page. <laughs> we'll lose KGRA's Facebook page. So I'm, I'm kind of stuck, you know, like I can't when I, I need to post things on there and all I have to go back on, but I still, I still do stuff on mine too, man, but it does get, it gets tough. It does. All right. Well, li- want to leave us with any last thoughts, 30 seconds about this New York times uh, article that just came out. Oh my God. I was let down a little bit. Yeah. You know? I was really hoping they were going to come forth with that metadata uh, results and actual, actual test result. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, it it, it might still happen, you know? So I I, I really was waiting on a big bombshell. Like it was all blown up to be, but it really wasn't. It wasn't a big uh, bombshell. Um, I didn't go crazy posting about it on Instagram. Like everyone else was, which I was like, am I doing something wrong? Should I post something? Um, it, it, honestly, today, there's not a whole lot to talk about in UFOs right now. So I, I still think it, it is important, and I think it's moving the narrative along, which is, is very good. But, Race, thank you so much, brother, for joining us. And, uh, man, it's weird not you not being my producer, but, you know, thankfully I have Bill Skywalker, and I really appreciate all y'all at KGRA for keeping this family running. Alan, it's good to have you back on the roster from Tuesday to Saturday, and and uh, you're one of our best. We love you, brother, and thank right. you for having right. me on your program. All right. Thanks. Stand by, everybody. We'll be right back with Lori Gum and Shane McEllen of The Q Files. Stand by. Cost me my family Chaos around me Can't hear my heart say Hey, that's the wrong way Hey, that's the wrong way Hey, that's the wrong way That's Lucky Land Casino Asking people What's the weirdest place You've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office More than once, actually Do I have to say? Yes, you do In the car Before my kid's PTA meeting Really? Yes Excuse me, what's the weirdest place You've gotten lucky? I never win and tell Well, there you have it You can get lucky anywhere Playing at LuckyLandSlots.com Play for free right now Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary Void where prohibited by law 18 plus Terms and conditions apply See website for details Mainstream media's most wanted KGRARadio.com
Welcome back, everyone, to Paranormal Now. This is Ellen B. Smith, your most grateful host here on KGRA Radio, streaming on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, um, and throughout this cosmic universe. We can be found if you try hard enough. Uh, coming up in just a little bit is Lori Gum and Shane McClellan of the Q Files. And I just want to thank Septembrio of Septembrio.com for providing our bumper music every week. Um, so if you heard that little Stranger th- Themes theme, Stranger Things theme at the beginning, uh, they got the rights to use that as a part of one of their uh, musical pieces, and that's why we were able to play that on the radio. Um, but moving forward, maybe we'll get a little bit more time for them to play in case you're not familiar with Septembrio. But if you want to find out more about them, go to Septembrio with a Y uh, dot com. So I am going to now bring on my special guests for this hour. And that is Lori Gum and Shane McClellan, the Q Files. Welcome. Hey. Hello. Hello. Hey. How are you, Lori? So this is the first time, Lori, you and I have you've you've been on this end, but I've I've been on uh a call with you guys, which I really enjoyed. It was this panel of paranormal podcasters and researchers, and it was um, it was really fun. I, I came late, but I really enjoyed that conversation. Yeah, that was yeah. that was all Lori's idea. <laughs> no, that was well, which, it was just so great to you know what we really wanted to do was connect to our listeners mm-hmm. um, and connect with them intimately and directly, and hear what they wanted us to cover. Um, and to hear their, you know, responses to what we've done. So it was delightful. Uh, we love to have you join us at the end. Um, but everyone on that, uh, zoom meeting was just a delight and, uh, we'd like to do it again on a sort of regular basis. Yeah. I think it's actually a brilliant idea. Um, whether you're a researcher, podcaster, uh, what have you, it's probably a good idea to bring brains together and, and brainstorm. And, and because, you know, often we're in our own thoughts, right? We're planning out our own shows or someone is writing a book and it's usually very singular. Maybe it's one or two people working together. Um, And for the community to just think outside the box is, which is, you know, innately what we're doing anyway, but um, to be better at that is to, to have conversations with each other and really stoke the fires of um, invention. So, Lori, how did you get involved with the paranormal in the first place? Well, I've always been an observer uh, of the unusual since I was a child. I've always been, a, as we say, a queerdo um, since the very beginning, um, you know, interested in, you know, um, UFOs since, you know, nine years old. And we had a ghost in the house. So I've always been really comfortable with what we consider the paranormal and you know this all so i i did this my whole life but this all coalesced when i met shane and we did you know queer ghost hunters and um really got a chance to be a true queerdo and 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 bring people along with us and then after that ended it was a wonderful experience but after that ended you know shane and i decided that you know, we really wanted to expand the notion of paranormal because that had been our experience, you know, from, you know, weird ghost stories to, to just weirdness uh, that the mainstream uh, media, if you will, uh, misses. So we, we really uh, kind of became soulmates in bringing this 
these stories and and this knowledge forward. And mm-hmm. it has been nothing but pure delight to work with Shane and you know get to bring ideas like I've been fascinated with stigmata my entire life. So you know we got a chance to investigate stigmata and bring it to our listeners and bringing those really weird things you've been interested in that, you know, in the past, no one's really been interested <laughs> in um, yeah. to bring that and to, to see that our listeners really react to these stories has mm-hmm. been um, an absolute joy, an absolute joy. Shane, what about yourself? Yeah. So I, I know kind of similar to Lori, I've always been interested in uh, weird things and, and curious about the the world around us, but mm-hmm. it really all started when I, w- I was growing up. My parents' house um, is, is haunted, um, I guess still to this day, but kind of growing up and having those weird experiences and no one really believing you when they were happening and kind of, you know, continuing to to have the experiences and, and trying to figure out what was going on or like why it was happening. And, you know, it kind of just, it, it kept going. Um, you know, in, in, then as I got older, um, you know, what, if I was living in someplace new, maybe some weird things were happening. And then eventually, um, you know, it was kind of more popular to be, to be ghost hunting and, uh, you know, really got to explore that. And then I, I met Lori and, you know, we had an opportunity to, to join a, a ghost hunting team and we were, well, she said yes. And then I was like, can I go? Um, and that's really like kind of how I got involved doing it in like a, a a structured way. I was going to say professional, but I don't know if any of us are really like professionals. Well, Shane, you and I have, have talked about this um, before, but uh, Lori, why, why investigating, um, you know, LGBT cases, queer cases? Well, you know, I will tell you primarily our, um, you know, impetus for starting this series was to reclaim um undiscovered queer history uh, mm-hmm. to go back into when we talked about, you know, our, our sort of tagline was uh, where do you find ghosts, you know, prisons, uh, theater and um, insane asylums. Right. So why, you know, this is where we were, we, we were in those places. And so it only made sense that yes. there would be queer ghosts there and why weren't people searching for them? So our true, really, we love the adventure of ghost hunting, but we thought that by putting this adventure online and it was a, it was a market decision to put it online to reach a younger audience as opposed to initially we talked about a two hour long feature length documentary uh, that would be shown on, you know, in, in theaters or on television. But along with the director and the producer, we decided to do this on YouTube to actually specifically reach younger audiences to talk about this, this unknown um, queer history from, you know, men uh, and young boys being uh, um, into Mansfield reformatory with the charge of sodomy from lesbian nuns in a convent in Toledo, um, you know, bringing that really unwritten history of queer people back into the history books. And as fun as the ghost hunting was, I think Shane will agree, our real reason for doing this series was to bring that um, unknown history to the forefront, especially for young people. Well, there's something spiritual about the paranormal, I think. And, um, you know, investigating the paranormal is sort of a spiritual exploration 
Um, it can challenge your beliefs. Uh, it causes you to reflect on, you know, your state and existence in this universe. Um, is there a purpose? Is there an afterlife? I mean, you know, all the big questions are wrapped up right into the the study of the paranormal. Yep. Um, you know, have you, do you have um, an emotional experience when, when you're doing these investigations or even when you're just you know, sharing about them? Yeah, uh, very often we've had, um, you know, either whether even it's just like a story of the history of a place where you find mm -hmm. that um, is really kind of engaging in an emotional way or even uh, making contact with an entity and, you know, getting to, I don't know, there's like, there's this like level of contact that you sometimes get, especially um, when we've done stuff focused around queer entities, where we've had these stories where this entity is coming out and you know sharing with us information that probably was never shared um at least directly in their real life um or in their their living life um but i don't know it, it's just it's really fascinating or even you know taking the information that you can glean from an investigation and then adding more research to it um in when we were at mansfield we were able to um you know between evps and um the the other tools that we were using we pieced together um it was like five digits of a prisoner uh, ID number. And we were able to take those five digits. And there's only one person in the entire history of the prison who had those numbers and their prison ID number. And we were able to figure out that like they were trying to tell us who they were and we just weren't catching the name. And it was just a very powerful kind of like emotional thing. And on top of that, he wasn't in there for murder or something. He was in there for sodomy. So there, you know, there was this level of maybe he was trying to connect with us because he was like, these people will understand more uh, about, you know, why I'm here, what was going on than anyone else would have been. Well, I think no matter what the, the case, if you can empathize with whatever spirit, is there lingering? Um, you're probably more likely to have a uh, connection with them, and maybe they'll they'll offer themselves to to be revealed. Do you think that um, the reverse can be true? So let's say um, you're a gay couple and you move into a home, uh, and that spirit that is lingering there was uh, gay in a past life, right? But maybe they were um, oppressed, um, and then. Here is this couple that has is different than all the other couples that have lived in this home for the past 60 years. Do they reach out? Do they knock on the door and say, oh, my God, finally? I mean, I, I think that's possible. I, I don't know that we've had um, like that story or uncovered anything like that. But I, I do think that is kind of there's this un, unique ability that our group has when we're doing it with the intent to find these these entities mm -hmm. um, to be, you know, creating this like safe space for the afterlife and um or you know kind of like whatever these entities are like we're creating a, a situation where they they can be more forthcoming with information that um they're probably not sharing with other groups and um you know they probably weren't able to share in their living lives right so it's it's like therapy yeah <laughs> but if i could add something we didn't yeah. have the situation where a, a gay couple moves into the house and then there's a uh, a, a gay ghost, uh, queer ghost there that, that finds, you know, respite. We had exactly the opposite happen in one residential investigation where we got called to a house with a gay couple because they were having great problems in, in, in their home. And we found out essentially that it was a homophobic ghost. 
So, you know, this, this ghost was striking out at them. Uh, we have incredible EVPs from this session. And it was clear that that entity in that house was not comfortable with a lesbian couple living in that house. Um, so that's kind of a whole other side of, of some of the things we encounter. That's what I mean. You're, you're sort of forced to explore um, the metaphysics of the universe. Yep. Because you have, to, you have to ask, well, you know, if, if they're on the other side or in, in the liminal space, you know, wherever they may be, um, do they not have access to more information that, that we do? Maybe they don't. Um, you know, you, you would think that you die, go to heaven, whatever. Right. And you go, oh, my God, I was such a terrible person. <laughs> um, but this ghost clearly continues to, you know, berate someone because of their sexuality. Well, we say over and over again, an asshole in life usually means an asshole in the uh, afterlife. So, <laughs> Wait, so do they get to heaven? <laughs> God's a whole other subject that we could do a, a, a long uh, podcast on. God, God's, God and heaven, I think, are a whole other subject. It, it is, but it, for me, it all, it, you know, those questions are always under, underneath. Huh? They're always, they're always present. Um, do, do, do your own spiritual beliefs, um, I don't know if you're atheist or whatever, um, but do they uh, um, inform the work that you do? I would say essentially I'm a deist. Um, going back mm -hmm. to the origins of our country, um, I think that there is something larger than we are, and I think it is the cosmos. And I think uh, personally that the paranormal is nothing more than a crack or a gap in that mm -hmm. cosmos that allows us to interact with other realities um, that very well may be trying to teach us something about our reality. And we need to keep that in mind when we're communicating with, with other entities or other realities. I mm -hmm. think that gap is here to teach us. Um, and to be relevant to our everyday life. So I do believe in a much larger thing than myself. And I think the great challenge of being a human being is acknowledging that and being responsive to all of that cosmic energy and lessons that they, you know, conspire to give us every single day. Yeah. What about yourself, Shane? Yeah, um, you know, I, I was raised in a, a Christian household, and I think that that kind of framework and ideology um, definitely has shaped my views now. Um, but kind of as I, you know, continue to explore and grow within the the kind of weird world, mm -hmm. um, the my understanding, I guess, is like significantly more complicated than like good versus evil, and um, you know, there, there's a heaven and a hell, and it's. I don't know. I, I I think there is I think there is the possibility for a plethora of options, and I think all of them are um, connected in some way that we haven't quite figured out yet. So, in your investigations, have you had any moments that were supernatural occurring to you, or are you always just on the research end of things? I, I mean, how? What do you, What do you mean? Have you gone to research something, investigate something? Um, and then in a, something happened to you, for, for lack of a better word, um, an apparition or contact in some way. Oh, yeah, very, very much so. Um, I mean, one of our, I mean, I'll let Lori tell it, but the one of our first investigations at the Old Licking County Jail, 
um, kind of when we were just like little little baby newbies. Um, she, I mean, she got she got grabbed. Um, I've seen things not on investigations, but um, on a specific invest. One of the times that we were at uh, the Mansfield Reformatory, um, we were in one of the the shower rooms and kind of we were getting a lot of information, and so we started using a spirit box, and it was getting really uncomfortable in the room is the best way to describe it. And so I ended up leaving the room just to see if we could get a reaction with only one person in there. And I had things, you know, kind of like these little pebble things thrown at me from the cell block. So I went back to tell them and he came out with me and he had a sweatshirt with him and he dropped it. And I turned around to be like, like what happened? And there was a full bodied apparition standing like, right behind him and it's only like the second time in my life when i've seen something and just been like oh shit that's a ghost (laughs) like (laughs) i mean what other reaction would you have right yeah i mean (laughs) it's 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 unexpected it's not i mean we went there looking for them but it was still unexpected well because i mean statistically the odds (laughs) of having a ghost encounter are pretty low even when you're you know ghost and, and paranormal investigators yeah very much so yeah. See, I'd much rather have a, a encounter with a ghost than, let's say, chupacabra, or something of that <laughs> yeah. like. I'm yeah. with you. I'm yeah. with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you're in these spaces, do you do you think that prayers, burning sages to you know the, the four directions, um, all these rituals that people use, are actually effective? I, I think they are be, not because they're rituals and not because they are, you know, said potions or rituals or anything like that. It mm-hmm. is because it is a focused mindset. And, you know, Shane and I deal have definitely in the last six months really started to um, use mindfulness in our investigations where, you know, we will focus and be mindful. And very often that's when we see something happen with the the episode with the Lincoln ghost funeral train, very much so. So it's not the ritual itself. It's that when you focus intently um, on an object or a ritual or an action, you clear your mind like you do with, you know, Buddhist mindfulness, you clear your mind because I, I don't believe that spirits can get to our minds if we have all this jumble in it. So those rituals very much, uh, regardless of what the actual ritual is, those rituals clear our minds and allow the, you know, you know, bring down the barriers for spirits to communicate with us. And that's why they're effective. And I believe, and we have seen, um, I believe it's a hundred percent effective. Lori, earlier you said that you think that these, paranormal openings uh, are there to teach us? What, what, what are they supposed to teach us? Um, I think they're supposed to teach us how to be happy. Simply. That's it. How to be happy and to stop suffering. I think it is that simple. I think that the cosmos is, uh, especially Shane and I have talked for many hours on my back porch about mm-hmm. how this virus has, um, of course, we don't want anyone to die or get sick, but this uh, virus has offered us a unique experience to go inwards and, and, and have solitude and start to reckon with these ideas of 
how to be happy beyond our jobs, how to be happy beyond our friends, how to be happy, you know, beyond all of that sort of physical accumulation of relationships and things. And I think that's exactly what the cosmos is doing right now. And, you know, the importance of paying attention, it is difficult. Here's the thing. No one ever learns with success. We only become wise and learn with failures or difficulty. There is a strong connection between suffering and redemption. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the cosmic fabric, you know, and I think that it, it all the cosmos is ultimate gift to us or, or what they're trying, what it's trying to give us is happiness and end our suffering. Suffering is the greatest of human ailments. Every religion in the, the world has recognized suffering as the greatest of human ailments. Mm -hmm. And I think the cosmos is trying to lead us out of that suffering into happiness right here on earth. It seems an odd way to do it though. No, I mean, it, cause some, sometimes yeah, Shane's laughing, but it's kind of true. You know, um, sometimes these are, these are terrifying events. Mm -hmm. But I, I think a, a terrifying, a terrifying event is something that can, um, you know, provoke you and, and cause you to think about what was happening and why you were experiencing that. And, you know, I, I do very much agree with Lori. I think, I think we're either dealing with, you know, the universe is trying to guide us into like this, you know, figurative higher state, or there's actually just no point to it. And we exist here and there's just weird stuff happening around us. You know what I like? I, there, there could be no point or the point is to reach this other kind of like enlightened level. And I think if, if, if there is a point to trying to reach this other enlightened level, or if there is no point seeing, you know, it, it kind of shapes how you view these, these encounters. It doesn't matter if it's a ghost, Bigfoot, UFO, it could just be either the universe prodding you to explore and think, or it could just be, you know, these other realms, these parallel universes, these, these, the, this, these things crossing through just momentarily. And, you know, and it, it's, it's unexpected and that's why it's scary. It's unfamiliar. It's not understood. And that's why it's scary. It forces you to think bigger than your everyday, yeah, yeah, activity. Yeah. Um, so when when people speculate that Bigfoot is sort of an interloper between another dimension and ours, right? Uh, maybe that's the point. Maybe that 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 yeah. would actually, if you overlay that on your theory, it fits quite well, because you know you have this thing that just appears in the woods. Um, and then it disappears. It's gone. You can't find it. No trace. Um, people have stones thrown at them and no one's, uh, to my knowledge, has been like, you know, severely hurt by right, right. stone throwing. Um, you know, I think that makes sense. The, but even if that's true, shouldn't there be a next step? Um, let, let's just say, like for myself, right? I was like around 12 years old. I, I saw a UFO in the sky, you know, and now I have a lifelong interest in it. You know, that in the X-Files. Um, but I want to know more, right? So then what, what does one do next? You've instigated the opening of my mind, right? Um, I, I consider uh, new ideas outside the paradigm that I was taught. And now what? I mean, I think that comes down to, and Lori, feel free to jump in, whatever. But this idea of you, like you, have to pursue it in order to reach whatever the next level is, and we we see that kind of 
throughout all of recorded history, um, you know, whether it's religion or just the societal structure of whatever their, you know, religious practices were, mm-hmm. um, you know, magic or just, you know, worshiping the, the various gods or whatever. But there's always a, there's a point to it. And these experiences are explained within those points. Um, and, and I think that's fine, but, you know, there's always like these steps you go through, there's this research you can do. And I think what, what we've done is kind of, um, you know, write it off as all just like hocus pocus and none of it's real. And, you know, we're a little bit jaded, but um, one of the things that Lori and I wanted to do with the Q files was kind of just stoke the curiosity of the world and, and help folks find um, those little bits of magic that are still left. Right. You know, it's funny. Uh, we were talking about Twitter earlier with race hubs and uh, you know, as much as I have issues with Twitter, you know, it is a, a good place to garner information. Uh, and, you know, I had discovered uh, another podcast, which I did unfollowed uh, because of remarks that they made on their podcast that were clearly racist, you know? Um, and it was, I think, well, you know, I'm not going to say, cause I, I, if I get the name wrong, I'm going to call, call out the wrong person. Um, but it was unfortunate because they were a, a people who were writing blog posts and things that I was reading and following. Uh, and it, it really, you know, cut me deep that, that, that they did that. And one wonders, we're in the world of the paranormal, right? You would think that it would just be 99.9% populated with people who are tolerant and um, curious about anything different. You know, the other um, is not the other. It's just a different thing. It's a different place. It's a different way to think. Um, reality is not this, you know, square cube and everything that you decide you want to believe fits in there perfectly. It's just, it's just not. Uh, and it just shocks me that there's, that there's all these people that crop up in the paranormal um, that are not necessarily good people. Well, you know, that goes back to our interview with Chris Blake, uh, one of our earlier podcasts on the Q files where mm-hmm. Chris had written an article about how minorities um, are viewed at when they see are, are viewed when they see UFOs. And the whole discussion was we're not believed um, and his whole experience and seeing a UFO. And it, it, you know, this is one of the things I think Shane and I do well is that we connect these ideas of the paranormal or the unusual with relevant things that are happening today. And one of the things Chris Blake talked about Um, was that black people aren't believed in general. So, of course, they're not believed when they see a UFO. And it was really eye-opening to us that, you know, why do we think, and I even said this to Chris during the interview, I I was naive enough to think that, oh, exactly what you just said, the paranormal is full of people that are accepting and tolerant and, 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 you know, um, totally uh, believe in the other. And it was exactly the opposite. The racism of our particular country in, in particular is absolutely a tempt that lays over the paranormal community. And as a matter of fact, it might even be a little more virulent in the paranormal community because we're talking about sort of extreme um, communities. And often those extreme communities can harbor extremely racist ideas and Chris really broke this down and said no it it's 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 not the paranormal community is not an exception to issues of racism it is absolutely like the rest of the world 
I guess it's a shame. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I guess I guess you can. It's like religion, right? You you think that your religion calls you to love, calls you to have compassion and empathy, um, and yet you stand behind it like a shield um, for bigotry and 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 hate, hate um, and oppression. I mean, slavery was justified by the Bible, and I'm not trashing the Bible here. It's the people. Mm-hmm. Who look at the Bible and and you know weaponize it uh, for their own ends, and, and yeah, it really saddens me. So, but besides besides that negative aspect of of the paranormal, uh, you know, what have been your most positive experiences in your investigations? Ones that have maybe even sort of just touched you. Oh gosh, um, I don't know. I, I so I, I think one of the 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 best things that we have is that there's kind of a, a community that gets built up, right? There's, there's the, the overall paranormal weirdo community and all of the, the, you know, whether it's, it's ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, magic, whatever it is. Um, but you know, what we were able to carve out is just this unique little area. Like, like Lori said, you know, these little, these queerdos and it's LGBTQ folks who are interested in all this stuff. And, you know, we were like kind of one of the the first groups to do it in a, a very public way. And we had a lot of, you know, folks kind of just come out and, and, and support us and encourage that because they hadn't seen it before. Mm-hmm. And what that ended up leading to was, you know, us getting special, you know, stories at locations about, um, you know, whether it's, it's you know, uh, gay graffiti at the, the Mansfield Reformatory or it's... Um, and I can't think of where it was, but it doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. It was a, a, a location and the the host, um, you know, we were outside talking, just taking a break. And he starts, you know, asking us questions about his his son, who he thinks might be trans. And he just clearly didn't have anyone else to ask these questions to and kind of like, well, these people might be able to help. And I don't have too many opportunities like this. So I don't, I don't know. It was just, yeah. we've, we've been able to, to, to take a, a, a much larger community and break it down and, um, hopefully like kind of um, create a space that is safe and welcoming for a lot of folks. And I think that's kind of like the most heartwarming thing that I've got to experience. And I know that isn't paranormal, but um, in a way it kind of is. <laughs> it is. Um, or at it least is. it feels that way some days, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And-, and one of the reasons that we started the Q files is we wanted to expand the notion of queer. You know, we, we sort of uh, started, um, uh, expanding the notion queer to mean unusual too. So, you know, we wanted to bring along this queer community that we had, you know, um, we had gathered for queer ghost hunters, but we didn't want to be limited to just queer stories. Um, as far as, um, LGBTQ was concerned, we wanted to, to bring in a very wide, um, spectrum of, queer as in unusual stories, but yet at the same time, create this safe space where, you know, people of color, uh, queer people, everybody could um, join in on this, this podcast and be safe and be engaged and be, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, often our community and just be, be safe to, watch this and comment on this and, and know that you're not going to walk in and see a homophobic or, you know, racist podcast that we really did try to create a safe space for the viewers. I was going to ask a question that in jest, and I'm realizing how bad it sounds, but for those who um, actually might 
you know, you know, you and I know that there are people like that that are like, is it okay for me? Is it a podcast for me? You know, if I'm not gay, you know, and I know it sounds yeah. silly, but there are people that come from that, that place. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's a show for everyone. It's just, um, we, we've made an effort to kind of raise the voices of folks who aren't, um, always getting to, to speak and have their stories told. And, um, and, and as part of that, like kind of share stories that aren't normally told. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's, it's just one of those things where I, I don't know, like there, there was no way that Lori and I could do the show and not, um, you know, talk about queer issues or, um, racism in America, or I don't, I don't even know, like, uh, women's equality, just all, all of these, all these different things. That's just kind of who we are. And it's, I think it's just easier to, to put that out front and say, you know, if you're going to have a, an issue with those issues being addressed, sure. um, while we're telling you about this kind of weird piece of history or this paranormal thing, then it, then it's not the show for you. But otherwise, um, there's definitely an opportunity for you to kind of learn and grow and enjoy a story um, with us. And that's awesome. And I think it says more about you as people um, than anything else. So anyone who is listening um, now is your chance to call in and ask Lori and Shane your questions. The KGRA paranormal radio app call line is 855-472-5483. That's 85-KGRA live. Um, Bill, our producer will pull you on and we'll give you your cue to ask your questions. And we have our first caller and that is, uh, Ronald and Ronald, you are on the air. Welcome. Or he was on the air. (laughs) All right. Let's see if we can get that worked out. I don't think it's on my end. Um, I'm going to leave that up to Bill. So I'm going to put Ron on hold and we'll continue from there. Um, so as far as um, your continued work, what do you guys plan to do in the future that is different that you haven't done yet? Do you want to do you want to talk about that, Laurie? Um, sure. Uh, we we uh, we've got a lot of things planned, but what we learned at, as we learned at the beginning of last season, all the stories that we had planned, not one of them <laughs> did we actually cover. So we discover things as we go along. I think. Uh, this season, we're going to be uh, really looking at nature and and food and, and and consumption. And I know that doesn't sound paranormal, but I guarantee you it will be. But but looking at um, sort of the natural world and all the paranormal um, stories and folklore and history that exists with the natural world. Um, so we kind of want to, uh, focus on that. For example, I'm going to throw this out there. It's kind of wacky. Uh, we would like to do a ghost hunt at a slaughterhouse. Has anyone tried to communicate with animal spirits? So that's kind of the direction we may possibly go in, but focusing a lot on that sort of supernatural natural phenomena that mm-hmm. we both are, are are huge fans of we both grew up in the woods and and you know love nature um and looking at you know sort of our food and consumption and and um all of those things that are very much the human condition yeah. at this time are you familiar with william stillman um he's author of the language of spirit no he might be someone you want to get in touch with. He is um, a medium and he's, he's very good. And he has been as of late 
tapping into the animal world. Um, wow. So he would be a great guest to have on the podcast, but also, I mean, maybe if you did, I think he's in Pennsylvania, so not so close. Um, but, That's close. We consider that close. Sam okay. and I are always <laughs> on day trips. That's very close. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Arizona, up, not so close. Pennsylvania, we're up for it. Yeah. yeah. I grew up in New Jersey, a state this big. So <laughs> my idea of big and small is a little, little <laughs> distorted. <Yeah. laughs> um, so yeah, he would be great because he he has a growing interest in communicating with animals. And we actually, wow. uh, in a, a not too distant away show, um, he was recording a video on investigation and we were talking about that video and a dog of one of the other guests that were on the show. And then in the background of our recording of the show, you could hear something that sounded like the panting of a dog. It was really, really bizarre. So like an EVP on the, the actual show. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And so I, I captured it. I tried my best to, you know, to isolate it and then shared it on the, a couple of episodes later. But yeah, it was really fascinating. So before we go any further, I'm going to bring on Ronald. Ronald, thank you so much for um, staying on hold. I think we have you on the air. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hey, Hi, Ronald. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I was saying earlier, uh, uh, thank you for being on Saturday night. Uh, it's an interesting night to have you on. And I missed you the last few weeks when you were switching over, but I'm glad you're back and you're here and we get to hear you and uh, this fine video uh, format. And thank you to Amanda and Bill and putting yeah. everything together. Race Hobbs, of course, with this opportunity. Yes. Uh, thank you very much for all this. Uh, thank you for the phone call, too. Okay. And I had a question for uh, Shane and Lori. You can each take either one or take them both if you want. Um, what is your end goal when you do your ghost hunting? For instance, like uh, the show Ghost Whispers, if you remember that show, it was on a few years back. And, and she would actually go into the house and try to talk to the ghosts and lead them to light and get them to go home wherever they had to go. What What is your end goal to your ghost hunting, paranormal hunting? And then second question, what is your most favorite tool to use? So for me, uh, the, the, the end goal isn't, um, you know, to cross anyone over or to lead them to the light. Um, it's just about, um, kind of getting to experience that moment in time with whatever is happening, um, to hopefully engage with them and get a story. Um, and, and that's kind of where it ends. And, and I say that like, that's kind of where it ends, at least for us, because I think once you start going in, you know, you're focused on crossing someone over or like, taking them to the light, um, you start bringing a lot of, um, religion into the experience. And I just don't feel comfortable, um, kind of going into a location and, um, acting like this is what you need to do. This is where you need to be. This is what I want you to do. And that's just kind of not what we're about. Um, yeah, it, it seems almost, um, aggressive to me and that kind of is antithetical to anything that we do. Um, as far as my favorite tool, probably just a recorder. Um, some of the, the most fascinating things I think that we've, we've captured or heard or experienced have been, um, kind of backed up with the, the recorder. Yeah. And I would say, I agree with Shane a hundred percent. There's a hubris to thinking that you can even move someone to the other side. Um, you know, that, that sort of arrogance of believing that I don't think I have the capabilities to, to help someone to the other side. What we do have the capability is to connect with them empathetically 
uh, create a safe space for them to tell their story. And that's what we can do. If that helps them to move on, it does. If it doesn't, um, it doesn't. But I don't think our job is to, to help someone. It is just to connect with them. And that's what we try to do. My favorite tool over the last six months is, and I know it's a combination tool, but is the Estes method and using, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the sort of spirit box with the headphones and questions. Uh, we've had some phenomenal, when we were at uh, Brindu, we've had some phenomenal Estes method sessions and, um, pretty incredible. So I really look forward to us doing more investigations and using the Estes method um, to see what we come up with. It's, it's pretty compelling. Interesting. I yeah. like, thank you very much. And uh, I was going to just ask uh, real quickly, uh, I have activity in my house. I've had doors slamming where there's no doors. I've had uh, buzzers turn on when they shouldn't be turning on, you know, things like that. Lights going on when they shouldn't be going on or going off when they shouldn't be going off. Doors opening and closing, like I said. Uh, footsteps above me when there's nobody there. You know, things like that. Uh, what would you suggest I use to investigate that? Or should I just start asking questions when I recognize these things? I would, uh, I'm sorry, Shane. I would say just try to connect with them. Try to talk with them. Let them, okay. A, know that you hear them. Number two, you recognize them and that you're you're there and you're empathetic and you understand, you know, potentially why they're there. I would just try to even without tools or or anything like that, I would just try talking to them and letting them know that you hear them, you understand and you're empathetic with them. Good idea. Thank you very much. Thank you again, Alan. Great show. Great guest tonight. All your guests. <laughs> yeah. Um, tonight. Uh, thank you. Talk to you next time. All right. Bye bye, everyone. Have a good night, brother. All right. We have uh, Thanks, one more call. We have one more call coming up. Uh, but before that, Rodrigo, I see your comments and uh, I'm going to pull up one of your questions here and now. And this question from Rodrigo is Alan, how many people who are fascinated by the UFO topic are also sci fi fans? Is this the case for your guests? <laughs> I, for okay, no, it's not. <laughs> I, I think no, a lot of people. Not me either. Yeah. I, I, I detest science fiction, honestly. I really do. So funny. <laughs> wow. Wait, I, so neither of you like science fiction in general. No, and I'll completely confess, I've only seen the first Star Wars movie. Like that's the only one I've ever seen. Like I, I just, I have, I have. I actually have a repulsion towards science fiction. <laughs> I just, I don't like it. It does not connect to me. I have, I have no connection to you, sci-fi you realize, at all. You do realize someone coming from the outside looking in thinks that's totally absurd. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. But yeah, I mean, I'm much more a sort of film noir, dark. I, I'm a big reader. Okay. Okay. I, I'm a big reader. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I like dark stories, this and that. Matter of fact, my, you know, favorite book, of all time is Moby Dick. I mean, I love these, but sci-fi just, I don't know, the future sort of sci-fi thing just leaves me cold. It, it really does. I know it's a weird thing to say. Okay. All right. We're going to go to our next call because I don't think we have much more to say there. <laughs> um, and we have Omara from New York City. Omara, welcome to Paranormal Now. Good evening. Good to hear your voice. And uh, hello, Shane and Laurie. 
Hi. I wanted to say thank you so much for having your podcast. I think it's wonderful. I'm just really glad that you guys are out there. And I have a question, which is twofold. First, what does a ghost look like? And second, can the same ghost look or present differently to two different people? And I'll take my question off the air. Go, Shane. Yeah, so so for me, I um, I do think that uh, entities can be viewed um, by different people in different ways. Um, but for me, they typically appear kind of one of two ways. One is either this um, blacker than black, um, kind of like light is lost in it, um, shadow type thing, or they appear as electric blue. And I don't know what the difference is. I don't know... Um, mm you know, why, th- why that is or how that happens. But those are the only two ways I've ever encountered um, entities when I've seen an apparition or had an, a hint that there was kind of something um, somewhere around me. But I also know that, um, you know, th- there's this, this whole idea that an entity could um, try to appear to you in a way that is familiar or is comfortable for you. Um, and that, you mean, that goes into like a, a whole kind of like segue for that. But I, I do think that um, we're each capable of interpreting the same phenomena in different ways. Uh, Lori, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And, you know, I, I, I say this all the time. Uh, Shane sees all the apparitions. I don't, uh, you know, in all my ghost hunting, I've, I've never really seen an apparition until we had a seance here for one of the episodes called the seance. Um, and uh, as we were sitting hours later at the kitchen table, I saw a, a man peek around the kitchen cabinets. Uh, the first time I'd ever seen an apparition. Well, I, I thought he was a real person. We searched the house, uh, you know, to make sure there, there wasn't an intruder. So to me, he, he looked like, flesh. I mean, this was a, you, I wouldn't have known the difference between that apparition and a, and a person, a live person in the flesh. So that's really, Shane sees much, many more things than I do. Um, And that's the first time I saw that, but um, that's as a flesh and blood person is how my apparition appeared to me. As a flesh and blood. Okay. So I mean, just looked like a human, like there, there was no ghostliness to them. It just looked like any man had come off the street and peeked around the kitchen cabinets. There was no ghostliness to him at all. Uh, so, it was really just a, 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 an ordinary looking human being. So not a force ghost like from Star Wars, which you wouldn't know about anyway. Wouldn't know about it. <laughs> <Okay>. Fair enough. <laughs> all right. So. I, my favorite place to find the Q Files podcast is at the Q Files pod on Twitter. Um, but where else can people go to listen? Yeah, so you can find it on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, CastBox, Stitcher, really wherever you want to listen to a, um, uh, a podcast. And I, I saw some folks in the comments. We do have a YouTube channel, but there's only like two or three videos of the episodes up there. Um, and we do that because it really doesn't benefit us to get listens on YouTube if we want to um, build a podcast. Um, So there's just, we kind of do it sporadically. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll probably have all of season one up there, um, you know, after we roll out season two. But um, right now the best place is to just kind of find a a podcast app that you enjoy and use that. 
Yeah. Uh, this is a comment from um, Rodrigo. Uh, I admire Shell Costa. She has been doing an amazing work on the UFO field, namely something that not many people want to do, statistics. Very true. Uh, she also faces some prejudice, but handles it so well. I'm, I'm assuming you're both familiar with, with mm-hmm. Cheryl Costa. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so do you, do you come across any uh, discrimination? So <laughs> we get asked that question a lot. And um, I, I, can't think of any particular instance where it has necessarily inhibited what we're doing. Um, I'm sure there's, I don't know, conversations before or after we leave or something. I don't know. Um, but no one has been um, directly discriminatory towards us. And in fact, we found, you know, uh, typically the opposite is true. Um, yeah, true. Is, is that we end up getting more information or people are um, curiously helpful towards us. I agree. We, it's, it's been amazing that, you know, when we started out with this, we really expected, especially going into more rural communities in Ohio, mm-hmm. we really expected to, um, you know, have more uh, discriminatory experiences. And we did not at all. It was it was on the contrary. It really was people, you know, us us making a snap judgment, thinking people who might have, you know, discriminatory, discriminatory thoughts about us were in actuality, the most helpful and the most engaged and the most interested in what we were doing, truthfully. Life is so surprising, isn't it? It is. It is. That's why we do this podcast. It's like, oh my God, you know, what you discover um, about life is, is just so often extraordinary. But that's what's, that's what gives me hope. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. especially during these, these crazy times and, but you know what? Two decades ago was a crazy time, a decade before that, and a decade before that. It's been crazy times as long as human beings have been walking on this planet. Very That's true. right. That's um, right. So I guess if I want to get enlightened, I just need to have more paranormal experiences. <laughs> and then I can just transcend all this. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Right. That's, that's what we're all shooting for. Yeah, yeah. that's right. it. That's it right there. Tonight, Lori has offered us all the key to enlightenment. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is your last chance to call in if you like. The KGRA Paranormal Radio app hotline is 855-472-5483. That's 85-KGRA-RADIO. Um, you know, we, we try to cover a lot on this show, and it's only once a week. So there are so many topics that I, I don't get to cover very much. And typically, cryptids kind of take the back seat to other topics. Uh, of the cryptids that you have explored, is there anyone in particular that that you think might be a legitimate uh, creature? Um, I think the the Crosswick monster was probably. I would it, agree. Yeah, was I definitely agree. real. I don't know if it's an if it's a cryptid. <laughs> um, I think it's a big animal, probably. Yeah, like it, it's either some kind of weird situation where there was some lizard in southern Ohio, um, or kind of like a private zoo or like a, a circus traveling through lost something. Um, I mean, also even with like the what there's like so there's the, the crosswick monster, there's the like the Loveland Frogman, and I think there's something else. Um, but they all kind of relate back to each other which makes me think that maybe there was just something down in southern ohio that was like actually real because all of those stories kind of stop you don't really hear about large reptiles anymore in ohio mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Lori, do you think bigfoot is real 
Um, you know what? Um, I, 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 I do. I, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it is the entity of Bigfoot as we think of it very, you know, cursorily. Uh, but I think there is something, I think what you said earlier is it, there is something, there's a being that is in the gap between our reality and another reality that comes and goes. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, that's exactly um, what Bigfoot and those other sort of cryptid creatures or the Mothman for that, for that matter, they're, they're a, a sort of bridge between realities. And even if they're not real, the myth of them itself is a bridge between these realities to get us to question and to get us to, to, to look as Shane and I always say to the skies and go yeah. inward and look to the skies and think about this. And I think whether or not they're real or not, they have the same effect. Right. Which again, leads us back to that question of, is there an intent behind all of it? Um, you know, so if we take that assumption that we're here to learn something and that the paranormal experience um, can lead us that way, there are also, like Shane earlier, you, you described ghosts could have sort of like that kind of um, hazy, bluish kind of color, right? Yeah. Um, but they're also a shadowiness. Someone like Heidi Hollis has covered this the subject of of shadow people right. thoroughly and you know, she regards these things as evil as hell. Yeah. So I was actually on that little, like you had a the few of us on and she yeah. was there and I, I didn't say anything because it's like, I'm not going to debate this with anyone. Um, and I know well, she's I like did. the, the so expert. Cool. Well, yeah. no, it's it's like, she's the expert. And I, I feel like we're probably just talking about two different things. Uh -huh. um, and like, yeah, there's shadow people and I've definitely seen shadow people. Right. Mm -hmm. But what, there's this other kind of just, and I, th I think it's a way of like my, my brain interpreting this like outside um, stimulus. Right. And it, it's showing as just like blacker and black because when I've seen shadow people, it's usually kind of like a, a darting or a peaking or a, a quicker movement. Right. Whereas I can see an entity sometimes that is just, it's like the silhouette, but it's darker and it's not mm -hmm. really, trying to get away from you or shock you. It's just like all of the energy it can produce or something. Right. All right, Shane, Lori, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with me. I really appreciate your input and the work that you have done. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Our pleasure. Thank you so much. And you're like the smartest, you know, <laughs> paranormal host we've talked to. Sorry to say that. <laughs> thank, thank all you. of I our other that. hosts, But you really are. It's a pleasure thank to talk you. to somebody smart. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> no, absolutely. And and again, that's that's why I appreciate that the work that you do. And you know, it, it's different doing doing this live. Um, you know, I'm relying on you, right, the guests. But but doing a podcast, you guys, you have to do the work. You have to package it. You have to um, figure out what story you are telling, and that that takes work and effort. Um, but I think that we can all agree that no matter what time we put into this, it's because we we love it. Yeah. Exactly. Agreed. Totally. All right. Have a good night, Shane and Lori. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks. Pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone. This is Alan B. Smith for KGRA Radio. You are listening to Power Normal Now, now on Saturday night, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard every week.
for the time being, because, <laughs> you know, I can't make promises, but I think we'll be around here for a while. So thanks to Race and Hobbs and Bill Skywatcher at KGR Radio for, you know, just their, their constant support uh, of Paranormal Now and this and this program. You know, I, I thought I was really afraid for a while there when I had to, outside of my own control, cancel the Tuesday night show. Um I was afraid we just weren't going to find a slot and and we did. And I know they both and uh, Bill worked really, really hard on making that happen. So thank you all um, at KGRA. I really appreciate you guys. All right, that's it. So tune in next week to Paranormal Now, same time, same place. And until next time, live in the mystery. <laughs>